Welcome to the Trades Podcast, a podcast about the business of home improvement and promoting the trades to young adults. All right, all right, all right. So here we are. It's a happy Thursday here, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Trades Podcast. I'm DJ Danny. And I'm Jeff Mudd. And again, this is the tradespodcast.com recording out of the BBB Podcast Studios. We're sitting right here down um, at the San Diego location uh, with Michael McSweeney with the California Home Building Foundation. Uh, Michael, how you doing? Great. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You got your coffee. You got some water. I'm caffeinated. And we got we got a podcast right here talking about the trades. Um, obviously, you got a long history with the trades and um, everything that you've been able to do. And we've been able to obviously go out to some of the places like the HBI Institute up there in San Marcos to check everything out. Um, but um, like uh, Jeff, uh, Je- Jeff really introduced us and really got us to all yeah. get connected and everything. Yeah, I met Mike at the uh, BIA Building Industry Association. And uh, yeah, that tour of uh, HBI up there in San Marcos. We also went across the street to the, uh, Miracosta High School. San Marcos High School. San Marcos High School. San Marcos, yeah. And uh, that, that was really interesting, the, the program they had up there that you've worked on too. Yeah, that was um, kind of a proof of concept. Can you take 25 high school students that have never done any construction work, and can they build a house with proper um, instruction and supervision and oversight? And the answer is yes. I mean, look, building buildings uh, take some skill, but it's not rocket science. And so we spent two weeks uh, giving the kids uh, basic training on how to use tools, how to be safe, and literally walked them outside and there's a pile of lumber and let's go to work. Yeah, the uh, uh, model that you had uh, set up there that you walked us all through, it was all framed, roofed, uh, open framing on the inside, so it had the wall layout and stuff. So it was really interesting to see some of the, the plumbing that was in there too, that the kids actually are seeing something that they've grown up with behind the walls, never knowing what that was looking like. I thought that was kind of interesting too. I did a, I did a presentation at a career technical education uh, seminar in end of February. for It's kind of like a trade show for that part of the education establishment industry. And I stole the tagline from one of the, one of the keynote speakers. If kids can see it, they can be it. Yeah. So the interesting thing about career technical education, if it's done correctly, and this is one man's opinion, is it gives students the opportunity to see something that they may be interested in and kind of test drive it. So the, the most revealing thing to me was the kids were probably two and a half, three months into this building these, these two tiny homes. And we took them to a job site on a field trip. And they got to see professionals building a two-story building doing the exact same work that they were doing back at school. The only difference was they were building a one-story building. If so, they can see it, they can be it. So, so when, you, when you did that uh, uh, actual job site walkthrough, did you guys like point out um, the, the headers over the doorways or the different types of framing? that they have already done at the uh, school. Yeah, so we walked through and and we talked about what they were doing. And then uh, there's 25 kids and the the role of plan. So of course we're we're on the radio so you can't see my hands. Um, But imagine a cylinder of of plans. So your typical blueprint is three foot by two foot um, rolled up. So this thing was probably eight inches around and I laid the blueprints down on the ground, and I pointed to two students. I said, show me where we are in this building. And I had taught them to read blueprints the way I taught myself to read blueprints, which is identify something in the building where you know what it is, which was the garage door. Okay, there's the garage door. Now lay down the plan and go to the floor plan. Find the garage door. Now rotate the plan so that it's facing the way that the door is facing that you yeah. see it. And sure enough, it took them about two minutes. And the two of them were right here, and they were right on. They, na- they nailed it on. Nice. Cool. Right. So it's, it's kind of like reading a map, uh, but it's there again. I, I, I come back to the, the tagline and it, the colloquialism. It's not rocket science because it's not. It's, it's a lot of common sense 
at the end of the day, it's really sixth grade math skills and sixth grade reading and writing skills. Not to mean that you don't need an education, but it's those foundational things up through like sixth, seventh grade. Those are the skills you're going to rely on. You're never going to go to a job site and the boss takes you aside and says, son, we have to finish, uh, we have to do a geometric equation today. No, he's going to walk you over and say, I need you to trim out these windows. And then you're going to get over there and you're going to find out that the framer didn't put it in exactly plumb. And you're going to have to figure out, oh, my my 90 degrees corner isn't really 90 degrees. So how do I set my chop saw correctly to do this? And it's it's practical application, but it's the understanding of what, what is geometry. There's 360 degrees in a circle, yeah. a right angle's 90 degrees. I mean, it's, it's the basic stuff that pretty much everybody knows. Yeah, and, and going back to the blueprint part, um, over my career of a, a deck framer, a handyman, and home improvement contractor, you know, I've had different uh, blueprints in front of me. I've never had any education on it, but I can walk through and figure a lot of stuff out simply by uh, process of elimination experience but there is really uh entry-level classes there's advanced classes and then you can get into particular trades if you want to learn how to read the the electrical part of it or the um the the plumbing part of it there's different symbols in there that are easy to learn once somebody's pointed out to you in a a basic class well it kind of goes to let me tell you how i got started in all this so i was one of those I'm going to use air quotes, weird kids. Um, I always liked to work. So when I was like eight years old, um, and I I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland, so most of our houses are two-story. We have basements. um, And I would get a bucket and a paintbrush and put water in it and pretend to paint the house because they wouldn't trust me with paint because I was only like eight. (laughs) But I I would, at at like fourth or fifth grade, took my bike apart, put it back together, always doing things. So in eighth grade, I bought my first book, um, Time Life Publishing, you know, how to do this, how to do that. And it was basic uh, electrical. And it was almost like the Columbia uh, Record of the Month Club. Okay, so Danny, you're too young to remember this, but yeah. you know Jeff might. Yeah. You know, you could you could sign up, and they would send you an album every month. And then if you liked it, you kept it, and they bill you. And if you didn't, you send it back. So this, uh, you know, I started buying these books, and all through high school, I was teaching myself because I was interested in this, and I was always doing. Um, side jobs, handyman, whatever somebody would hire me for. I didn't follow the typical teenager path to uh, go to McDonald's or work somewhere. I always worked for myself. Um, And then after high school, uh, neither one of my parents went to college, so I didn't know what to do. And and I did really well in high school in shop classes. We had an electronics program, so I went to community college and took electronics to get an AA degree as a um, a technician. And basically the way the course was explained is the electrical engineer designs whatever it is and the technician builds the prototype. Great. So I go there and the first semester I get a B, but I'm noticing that all our lab experiments were like kindergarten level and the math was like beyond high school level. I get to the second semester, I'm getting a D. I go to see my professor and he says, yeah, but when you, when you transfer to Cleveland State and you get your electrical Uh, engineer's degree, and I had to stop him. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want the AA degree. I want to be the guy that builds a prototype. Yeah, but when you go to Cleveland State, and after the third time he said, but when you go to Cleveland State, I said, thank you very much. And I went down the the hall to the office and dropped his class. And I treated college as kind of a cafeteria menu. I went and I took classes that I thought either A, interested me, but more or less, it was like instinctively, I knew I wanted to be the master of my own universe run business. So I took accounting. I took um, small business management. And the guy that wrote the book was my professor and he was a Greek immigrant and he had owned a bunch of businesses. Then I got a job after two years of college. I didn't see an end game to that. Then I got a job working in a factory, which gave me the ability to qualify for a mortgage loan because I was in today's dollars. Think of a 20 year old making 75 grand. I was working second shift. I bought my first house at 22. And with my Time Life books, I started to remodel them. And I can remember this clear as, uh, as the day. Um, one day I'm, I'm doing my first kitchen remodel and I'm putting 
cabinets up. And, and you, know, you talk to yourself when you work, or at least I do. And the voice in my head said, you don't have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> and then the other voice said, yeah, but what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't look good, and you'll just have to hire somebody to fix it. And when I look back at the skill level I had then compared to what I do now, it's like, you know, a, a kid finger painting to somebody that's a really talented artist. And it's, you learn construction by doing construction. So I had a plan that I started buying houses. By the time I was 24, I had three houses. I was married to the starter wife. And the plan was after 10 years, I was going to sell that and buy an apartment building and build my worth through real estate. But I really wanted to build a house. And so I talked to my uncle that lives out here in San Diego. And, you know, he went to college. He went to Harvard and got an MBA. He's a millionaire, and my dad wasn't, so I figured he knew something my dad didn't. And he said, Michael, if you want to build houses, there's more opportunity in San Diego than Cleveland. So I decided to you know, basically sell all the real estate at the bottom of the recession in 1984, moved out here, worked for a contractor for two years, learned two really important lessons. Number one, don't organize and be a contractor like he is because he's horribly organized. He wastes too much time running from pillar to post. And number two, he was building houses, and I had the opportunity to talk to every one of the tradespeople. I was like an annoying middle schooler, and I would walk over to the plumber and say, well, why are you using a black plastic pipe? Back in Ohio, we have white plastic pipe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he would explain it to me, and then I would see the electrician, and he would explain to me. And then I, I watched him do ductwork, and I saw them pull ductwork out of a box like a slinky, and I was like, but you know what? Those that don't ask don't get, and I learned that lesson as an eighth grader as well. And that applies to everything in life. So for two years, I was just the giant sucking sound was me sucking up information, seeing what was being built, how they were doing it. And then, oh yeah, when the painter came onto the job, he used an airless sprayer. I'd never seen one of these before. But what I didn't mention of my career path is when I went to community college for that two years, I worked part-time in a body shop. I learned how to paint cars. And then I watched him paint with an airless and I was like oh man I can do way better work than that <laughs> and the next thing I know I, I went and I bought one and I'm doing little side jobs and then my contractor uh, was winding down some jobs he had underbid the painting so he offered me the opportunity for 900 bucks to paint the whole house he'll buy the materials unemployment or 900 bucks I'll take the 900 bucks and then a contractor down the street that was building a house saw me and then wanted to hire me and the next thing I knew literally I was in the painting business I did that for a while Got my contractor's license the first time I took the test. Uh, was I qualified? Eh, probably not. But the reality is, you know, the, the state wants to license people. And if you pass the test, you get a license. Um, and then for the next 25 years, I did home remodeling. And my, my, my sweet spot was find a dual income couple. And they would either hunker down in two rooms and we'd remodel the whole house. Or they would move out and we would redo the whole house. At about 50... The, the voice in the head said, Mike, I want to pivot. So I took a, a hobby, which was local politics I'd done for 20 years, married that to my construction experience. Who better to advocate on behalf of builders than somebody's actually built something? Did that at the BIA for 10 years. And the last year, um, and this brings us full circle to yeah. the tiny houses, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, workforce development was part of my portfolio of responsibilities. And my boss let me go up to San Marcos High School every week on Thursday for their two-hour build class to work with the kids. And what I found was two things. Number one, I'm good at that. And number two, it was the most emotionally fulfilling thing I'd done as a professional. That, that I can relate to, actually. And Mike, Mike just told a story real quick, but I want to circle back to one of the points he just made about asking questions when he got out here to California. Um, I still see that as an employer today, that you bring the new person on. Uh, we've always tried to team them up with an experienced person. Um, in my career as a termite inspector, you know, always ask questions. And if you're, you're doing it in a respectful way, that's the, the person you're working with. 99% of the time will be as gracious as they can to teach you and give you their experience and help you along in your career at any age. Jeff, when, when I speak to classes, I, I, I share two uh, life lessons. You just hit on one, and it ties into those that don't ask, don't get. Yep. Or as one of the students in one of the classes repeated back to me, a closed mouth, don't eat, mm -hmm. which is the same thing. <laughs> so, um, yes, and in, in human beings are hardwired to help people. 
And when you said 99%, I always tell kids 95%. If you want to do something, you think you want to be a heart surgeon, talk to a heart surgeon. Well, how do I find one? Well, you have something that I didn't have as a teenager. And I'll ask kids, what is it? A and cell phone. Well, they'll say the either internet. a phone or technology, but it's the internet. internet. So when I was a teenager, I played in a, in, a, in a rock band. And when Van Halen came out in 1977, we were just mesmerized. We would buy the album, put our thumb on the turntable to slow it down because there was no video. There was no YouTube. There, you, but now if you want to learn how to play like Eddie Van Halen, what do you do? You go to YouTube and there's lessons. There's 19 guys that have put up videos. Some are really good and some not so good. And you can literally learn that. We didn't have that. So kids, if you take advantage of that, you want to be a heart surgeon, get on LinkedIn. You're you're ninth grade, you're in 10th grade, put a profile up that I aspire to be a heart surgeon. Now you can reach out to heart surgeons across the world and be respectful and sincere. Those are the, the, the bar is not that high. And just ask somebody for 20 minutes of their time. You will find that 95% of people will help you that you don't know. The other 5% that won't, won't do it because, number one, they're just too busy. They don't have the bandwidth. Or two, they're, they're a jerk. Right. And guess what? That's not the only heart surgeon on the planet. Yeah, you're bound to find at least one that's going to want to try to help you out. For sure. Right. So the, the three of us sitting here today, so Danny, you, you do DJ work. Yeah. If, if some high school kid said, oh, I'd love to do that, you know, how did you get started? Would you tell them, bug off? No, absolutely not. You we take actually, him aside yeah, and tell yeah, We him. actually have a, an intern that's, that's been following around and been able to teach him. It's super awesome. And it, it's a good experience, like you said. Like, it's one of the most fulfilling things. You know, I never thought that someone ever would ask me, um, hey, do you do classes? Do you want to teach what you do as a skill in your trade? And, and um, I mean, I, I only see it, obviously, I hear it from Jeff a lot, too, and a lot of the guests that we have, you know, anybody that's part of a foundation or organization that's able to kind of extend the education past what they've already learned it's it's like it, it's almost second to none of you know the 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 factor of being able to help the community out because you know ultimately you know through the trades they're going to be the next generation of building homes building businesses remodeling like you mentioned like that you were doing too yeah like mike said it's human nature for us to want to help other people yeah so that that kind of brings me to how i came here today so I'm working at the BIA. Every Thursday I go up and I work with these kids and we're building these houses. And then all of a sudden COVID comes and sends all my workers home. Um, but I, uh, my, my boss then announced uh, following January, he was going to retire. I rarely make emotionally based decisions about the end of June. I thought, you know, I really, I really want to do the teaching thing. And it's you know, being a lobbyist is being, you know, I felt like I was just blowing into the wind. I wasn't making a difference. But when I was working with kids, I really felt I was making a difference. And before I left the BIA, the, the people from the California Home Building Foundation, the program director said, Mike, we're going to look for somebody in Southern California. Do you know anybody? I said, I don't have a clue. Um, but then after I left, I called them up and I said, you know, what would you think if I did that? You would do that? I said, well, you know, I did the teaching thing, and I applied at Carlsbad High School. They were looking for a shop teacher, um, they, but they only wanted to pay you like you were 23 years old coming out of college, and I, I couldn't afford to work for 60 grand. So um, I ended up going to work for the Home Building Foundation. And, and what I do there is my, you have my business card. I'm the CTE coordinator. So back in the day when Jeff and I went to high school, it was called vocational education. Today it's career technical education. It's the same thing. and. I am the intersection between our curriculum and we offer a four-year state-approved curriculum to any high school free of charge. Now, in the, in the education industry, there's companies that provide curriculum and textbooks. It's billion-dollar business. We operate off of donations. Um, we raise money uh, and we give this free to schools um, and it comes with a $5,000 startup grant. So if you don't have enough tools or whatever and we pay it over two years, um, and then the, the secret sauce or the, the unicorn in the whole equation is trying to find a teacher um, who ideally comes from industry that can share with kids because teaching today is not teaching like it was 30 or 40 years ago. Um, kids are glued to their phones. They don't want to listen. They, you know, they talk back. I mean, if, <laughs> if I thought about talking back, the teacher, my mom would have hit me <laughs> when I was at school. She would have just appeared and whack. Um, so, so. 
and then I'm there for the teacher. I'm the one that they rely on. So, Mike, I'd like to take my kids to see, you know, them pour concrete or we're, we're talking about this or, you know, I don't want to buy new lumber because if you're going to teach kids how to cut, how to uh, cut a piece of plywood, a sheet of plywood now is $50. You're not going to go buy a brand new sheet of plywood so kids can cut it up into little pieces. What you want to do is you want to connect with a contractor. You want to go to Jeff's job site and pick through a scrap pile yeah. because that stuff's gold. You know, when you're building a big building and you've got some six by six or four by eight or, or, you know, pieces of cutoff header, it's two foot long. You can't use that anywhere, but that's the perfect medium. You're going to teach kids how to nail. That's what you want. You want a big block of wood that they can nail into. And then, oh, here's your cat's ball. Now pull the nail out. You learn by doing this. The beauty of construction is making kids aware that, you know, whether it's home building, uh, building bridges, whatever it is, it's all construction, is you learn by doing. And you get paid to learn as opposed to going to a college or a trade school where you pay to learn. And so that's why it's important. And in, in really, it starts as young as elementary school. Third to fourth grade, you should have a program where kids are exposed to potential jobs. Oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a doctor. But they can start to, because kids are smart. They, they start to peel the onion, so to speak. Then in middle school, have some programs where they can start to do that. Carlsbad Unified School District actually has a media program that starts in elementary school. Mm. And they have, they partner with Viasat, which has their corporate headquarters there. They actually get satellite time. So by the time the kids are in high school, they can be remote reporting from anywhere in Carlsbad and it's up to the satellite and back to the studio, and they have a little channel so these kids can come out of high school with some valuable skills. If they want to go to college, they're two or three steps ahead of their peer group. If they want to go directly into industry, and that's what we try to do with our program is it's the exposure. It's not training. It's not pre-apprenticeship because you can only do so much in a 55-minute period. By the time the kids come in, the teacher gets their attention, puts your phones down, takes attendance, God forbid if the announcements come on, because that's five minutes of wasted time, and then out to the shop, and then you've got to clean up and then get them back in the classroom two or three minutes before it's change of period. So under the best of circumstances, you've got 35 minutes to do something. Right. So it, it's, but it's familiarity, and I like to, you know, so Jeff, if you wanted to hire a kid that had two years of our curriculum, which goes by its acronym, BITA, B-I-T-A, Building Industry Technology Academy. Um, I like to say that those, those kids are green, but they're not Kelly green. They're pistachio green because they've had enough experience. They know about the tools. They know how to use the tools. They know what the tools are used for. So when you say, hey, we're gonna, I need to cut this copper pipe, go out to the truck and bring me back a sawzall blade to cut copper pipe, kid doesn't come back with a spade bit and go, is this it? Exactly. I mean, um, I've done interviews of kids coming out of high school, and you just got to be a little slower and patient with them. It's like, so you've, what'd you do with your dad around the house? Oh, we built a deck. Okay. Well, what'd you do when you helped your dad? So we get, you got to be patient and walk them through that because they're not experienced interviewer or interviewees. You know, they haven't applied for jobs before. So as a, an employer, you got to take your time and you know, walk them through it. So if you have somebody that's had some formal exposure, like you're putting a mic, you know, it makes it a little bit easier. Now they, they feel a little more confident and a little more open to talk about it as opposed to having the same experience, maybe working with their dad or their uncle or, you know, things like that. And that's why what we try and provide with our curriculum is we're on a path to first year, think of it as uh, Exposure to construction, basic. So you learn about safety, you learn about tools, how the tools are used, you get to use the tools, you build some projects. Year two is how do you build a house, a building, from foundation to the framing to the roof. And then you learn about those things so that by year three, ideally what we want them to do is build a tiny home. Now why do we want to do that? Because it's one thing to make a cutting board to take home to mom or an Adirondack chair, but it's something completely different that I built a house for somebody. I helped build a house. And then the 25 kids or so in the class that do that, that's important because they got hands-on experience. But it's the 2,500 kids on campus that see the 25 kids mm. because if they can see it, they can be it. If they're not in that class and then the kids can talk to, you know, your best ambassadors are the ones that are in the class taking it. 
Absolutely. You could stand up in front of the whole school and give a big speech, but the 25 kids that are in the class are going to have way more power in uh, the credibility and the, the promotion of that class. Yeah. No, and I mean, just a quick story. I mean, I remember I still had wood shop and I took wood shop in mm-hmm. high school and we built a little jewelry cabinet. And still got it? Yeah. And my, uh, I gave it to my mom. Exactly. I gave it to my mom and I thought it was awesome. But one thing was I'd be walking out once the whole project was done and people were looking at it like, wow, you know, you know, uh, looks great. And then some other people were cr- critiquing it. And I, I remember, you know, I was that snarky kid sometimes too. Uh, they would critique it, but I would say, well, you didn't take the class and I know how to do it. So I want to see you do it then, you know, then it would be like that challenge, but it is that, that thing, like you said, if you see it to believe it, see it to be able to do it, it's a, it's, as long as it's getting, you know, like you said, I think we said it right before a lot of people in this world are tend to be a little bit more visual. They can actually see the actual tangible product of what's actually getting done, what these, what their peers are able to do. You know, it's it's kind of like a challenge in the back of the head. It's like, oh, maybe I can do that too. So, Danny, think about this. You name me what other occupation of everything out there mm-hmm. where your grandchildren will use what you built. It's not cars. It's not mm-hmm. cell phones. It's not airplanes. It's construction. Yeah. Because what you build, there are things. So, if you ever get a chance to take a tour of the Hoover Dam, Go do it because when you think about it, that was built in the early 19, late 20s, early 30s. So it was designed in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So it's 100 years old. The thing runs like a Swiss watch today. It does. Yeah. It's 100 years old. People built that. That's in, and think of all the electricity it's generated, the water it's stored. So, it, you know, when you think about you help build a house. Think of how many families will live in a house because every every edifice, I don't care what it is we build, you build a bridge, it ain't going to last forever. Right. It'll last 200 years, it might last 100 years. You know, the Romans built stuff, it's still standing. But think about if you, you go to and, and you go into the trades and you're an electrician, you're a painter, it doesn't matter what it is. You're part of a team of tradespeople that build something that's permanent at least for a lifetime and think of all the memories all the families that grew up there the kids you know yeah, yeah it's 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 a very relevant job and the difference between being a contractor and going to work as a lobbyist mm. every day when i was a contractor i could see what i did when i went to work at the first year i was at the bia it took me 13 years to get the city of carlsbad to change an ordinance of when a developer pays his impact fees instead of paying at the beginning when you pull the permit you pay right before final inspection so it saves some carrying costs it saves about $1000 my work can be eliminated 2 weeks notice to the public and a vote of 3 people on a future city council boom it's gone Took me 13 months to do that. I could have built you a custom home in 13 months. And my coworker at the time, I love him. He's like a brother to me. He goes, that's why we have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but think about that. How, how I had to work for a year and a month yeah. to just to, to change an ordinance. Yeah. I couldn't tell what I was doing every day. But every day I, I drive up to that thing. And, you know, at first it was a bare site. And then there's hole in the ground. And then there's concrete with pipes sticking out of it. The next thing you know, all the two-by-fours and two-by-sixes. And I got a house. And then all the tradespeople come and do their rough work. And then all of a sudden, boom, the drywall goes in. And, the, you know, when the framing goes in, everybody gets real excited. Your, cus- your customers go through their, oh, my God, I can see that. And then when the drywall goes in, they can actually now see the rooms. So, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's very tangible. And I think for a lot of young people to get into something to where, you know, they may, they may not like school. They may have a hard time sitting still. Um, I, sh- I, I was that kid. Um, you know, I, I, I had a job right before my factory job. I worked for the phone company for six months. I was an information operator. And I got hired by the phone company and I, because they were hiring, this is 1978, hiring men for typically women's jobs and women for typically men's jobs. I wanted to be an installer, but they were only hiring for women for that. So I figured, well, at least if I get my nose in the tent and I can transfer over. I would sit there and my feet would be tapping like I was Alex Van Halen playing the double bass drum. <laughs> I couldn't sit still. They told me it'll take you three months to operate at 97% efficiency. It took me seven days. Right. And, and after a month, I was just like, I lasted three months. And then I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't yeah. just sit still. 
I think that's a key thing right there. I was talking to someone about that the other day. It's actually my brother. Um, you know, if you're, you know, you tried a lot of things. I mean, growing up, I mean, you were able to just go out and try different jobs and experience that. I mean, what what do you feel like that truly did for you, jumping around to different, um, like, factory jobs, that phone operator job, um, obviously going in through politics and being able to try different things? What did, what did that truly do, do for you and kind of let you know where you wanted to be? I ex- I'll explain it to you like I do in a classroom of high school kids. What was the most feared warrior in the 1500s? It was the archer. What does the archer carry his arrows in? A quiver. So all the experiences of anything you do, whether it's a hobby, Mm. whether it's a a part-time job, whatever, every one of those is an arrow in your quiver. The more arrows you have, the more valuable you are. So never, ever did I think learning how to paint a car would ever translate to construction until I moved out here and I saw him spraying, spray painting houses. Like, oh my God, I can do this. And I can do it way better than they are. So, um, yeah, you just you just learn and absorb. Some people are not naturally curious. They, they're comfortable just learning how to do something and doing it. I like to try different things. The other thing that's a difference between my generation, and God, I feel like a living dinosaur. Um, the difference between uh, me, I'm 65. Danny, how old are you? Uh, 30. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm old enough to be your dad. The difference between you growing up and me growing up is my first job, I was 11 years old. I had a paper route. What did that teach me? It taught me I had to be at the corner by 3.30 to pick up my papers and deliver them. I, I delivered the evening paper in Cleveland. Um, I had 52 customers. I had to collect money from them every week. Um, I had to pay the newspaper manager $0.07 cents for every $0.10 cent paper. I made th- $0.03 cents a paper. But that experience taught me responsibility taught me how to communicate with adults. And it also gave me the opportunity to sell those adults other services. I could rake their leaves. I could cut their grass. I could pull weeds. I could shovel snow. One of the few benefits of living in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> taught, was, but, taught you money management. Right. I mean, I had to have a checking account when I was at a paper how did I? How did I pay, buy my first time life book yeah. with money I earned? Mm-hmm. When I was in a band in high school, I owned the PA system. How did I pay for all that stuff? My dad, my dad worked two jobs. Mm-hmm. I bought my own bike because I saw my dad working. And that's, you know, that, let me digress for a second. That's one thing that I, I love about living out here is we have a lot of people from Mexico. Their background is Mexican. Mm-hmm. The thing I admire about that culture is it's a, it's a three-legged stool built on faith in God, family, and work. Mm-hmm. In Mexican family, Everybody works. Grandma works. Grandpa works. Aunts, uncles work. Mom, dad works. Brothers and sisters work. And everybody's got a side hustle. Mm-hmm. So grandma works. And then she's at Home Depot on Saturday and Sunday with her trunk lit open and she's selling tamales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, construction is a great opportunity um, for those people that aren't afraid of work. And that's why you see a lot of Hispanic people in the trades because, you know, it, it doesn't require you to go to college. but you're, you know, you're, you're creative, you're crafty, you, you figure things out, you're constantly problem solving, especially in remodeling work, because none of us have x-ray vision. You make assumptions and you open things up to find out you're either assumed correctly or incorrectly. But yeah, it's so, it's just the amount of opportunity out there today um, is almost infinite. The other thing is, even though in the last hundred years, tools have changed, applications of materials have changed, but they haven't taken the people out of it. They've made it so the people are more efficient, so people today can do the work of two people or three people. But in the next, you know, I see it in the next lifetime, they're not going to eliminate the people. Well, they're going to 3D print houses. Okay, they can do that for the outside walls. Somebody's still got to put in a foundation, Mm -hmm. the underground plumbing electrical, and then somebody's got to put the roof on it. Somebody's got to waterproof it, put in the windows. Somebody has to make the windows. On and on and on. And I I tell kids today, so what's, and I'll I'll ask you both this question. What's the one job today they're advertising for? Starting pay is $80,000. It's considered essential. And it'll be gone in 10, 15 years tops. Solar. Nope. It's a job. It's a skill. Um, 80, counting? Long haul. 
Long haul truck drivers. Yeah, dri- driving. driving. Yeah, driving something. I mean, uh, so right now, drivers can only drive, I think, 10 hours a day. Okay. So, Danny, you and I are a, a father and son team, and we drive yeah. a semi. Yeah. We can only drive 20 hours a day. But a robot, AI, can, you know, and, and the technology's here now. They're perfecting it. They build out the 5G network. The last mile will probably still be a person for a while. But they'll, they'll load up. And so when I worked in the factory back in Cleveland, we made landing gears for lo- large Boeing planes. So they had to drive from Cleveland to Renton, Washington. And it would take them, you know, I don't know, 28 hours, something, you know, just balls to the wall. Right now, you just, you know, the truck will be there and it'll be a computer and it'll say, go to this address. And the truck will get it and it'll plot the, the best thing. It'll see traffic conditions ahead. It'll detour itself. When it notices it's getting low on fuel, it'll email ahead to the fuel stop. Maybe then a human will come out and fill it up, but that thing will just drive nonstop. Mm-hmm. Human beings can't do that because of the regulations. Right. Right. And they don't call in sick. You know, they don't get workers' comp injuries. Yeah. You know, just look at the trash trucks today. There's nobody hanging on the back of the trash truck, picking up your can, throwing it in. Yeah, they got the machinery that does it. Yeah, the technology that's coming into the industry, just take power tools themselves. I mean, before you used to have to have, you know, your... Uh, Corded skill saw, an extra 50 and a 25, and God forget, you had to have a 100-foot extension cord, you know, to do your work. Now the batteries for the cordless stuff is to the point where it's almost as powerful as a cordless. No, it is as powerful. It is. Depending on the brand you're grabbing. So I I did, look, you know, the other thing I I teach kids, when you're in the construction industry, it's like being in the mafia. You never get out. So here I am, 65 years old, carpal tunnel in both hands. But I have all this value that lies between my ears. So last summer, I had a, a, a longtime client call me up. He's 83-year-old doctor in La Jolla. Mike, can you come over and give me some advice? So I go over to his house. He wants to pick up five feet of additional space behind his garage. Would require building a retaining wall. I said, Jim, if you build the wall over three feet tall, you have to get a permit, which is going to take engineering and, per- and permits, that whole thing. It's going to cost, that's going to cost five grand before we dig into the dirt. To make a long story short, I coordinated and built him a 55-foot long, one-foot thick, three-foot tall poured concrete wall. I made $12,000. I worked about 35 hours. Of the the 35 hours I worked, probably 10 of it was hands-on. And so the one day when I hired the carpenters to build the forms, I went there, and that's the first time I used a battery-operated skill saw. And I was just blown away. First of all, ergonomically, it was lighter than a regular skill yeah. saw. It cut just as well. And I asked the guy that he's a framer. I said, how long do your batteries last? Because, you know, my little cordless saw, if I'm using a lot, I get maybe an hour and a half out of these. Because well, it depends on how much I cut. But usually by lunch, I, I pull out my second set and I put these in the charger. Sometimes, depending if I'm not doing that much cutting, it goes all day. And then the other thing, he pulls out a battery-operated framing nail gun. So when, when I was doing the work, we were dragging around cords and we were dragging around hoses. Air hose, yeah. Now it's all battery operated. Mm-hmm. So he's more efficient and he can do the work, but he's not tethered by the cord. So the, the technologies are changing to make people more efficient, but you still need the guy to actually operate the nail gun to shoot the nails. Got to know how to, to use those tools. Got to know, you know how to measure, how to... All the things that he did 100 years ago, he's just more efficient at it doing it now. Yeah, there, there's huge advances in technology, yeah. too. If you have, a, like, a high-rise you're building, as an example, there is uh, digital drawings mm-hmm. that, that come out, specs, and the uh, inspection process is all documented with photos. If there's a problem, you tag the photo. Somebody comes back and checks it. Um, there's almost... Uh, drone capabilities within a building that does that for you now without the person. I mean, so the robotics will continue to integrate into the construction industry, but there's no way it's going to eliminate the custom stuff, the repairs, you know, we're never outsourcing that. It's going to be here. Like you were talking about a house that was built a hundred years ago or a house that's built now a hundred years from now, it's going to take a person to fix it. Over that 100 years. Yeah, 100 years from now, it's going to take a person. It's not going away. So while I know that we don't have all morning here, um, a couple of things I wanted to touch on um, is how much do people earn in the construction industry? 
I get that question a lot from kids and I share it with them. So if I go in to speak to a class, I usually have 35 minutes of, you know, what I shared this morning, my life history, and then people that I've known and met. So while we were building those tiny homes, it's a week before COVID sent my workers home. Didn't know that. We had a plumber there. Now, you noticed when you toured those, you saw the plumbing. Yeah. So the first house, the plumber was going to do all the plumbing. The kids watched. So the second house, the kids could do the plumbing. So here's this guy at the time. He was 68 years old, Fu Manchu mustache, ponytail in the back, like me, salt and pepper, gray hair, for those of you watching at home. Um, <laughs> and then I asked him, I, I took 15 of the 25 kids and the teacher, and we kind of circled around him. He's working on his knees with some PEX pipe. And I said, can we talk to you while you work? He said, sure. So I asked him some questions about how a kid, if they were interested in plumbing, would go about getting a job. He explained that. And I said, let me ask you a question. What do you, as a contractor, make in a bad year as a plumber? About 200 grand. What do you make in a good year? And he stops work and he looks up at the ceiling because he's doing the math in his head. Then he looks me dead in the eye and he goes, a million dollars. I've done that a couple of times. I own my house. I have a house at the river. I own a couple small apartment buildings. I have some toys. I do okay. And I looked at the kids, and I looked back at him, and I looked back to the kids, and I said, I want you to understand something. Any one of you can do what he does, but understand one thing. The man that you see here is not just a plumber. He's a business owner, and his business is plumbing. So the kids heard that if they wanted to start out as a plumber, they'd start out at 17 to $20 an hour. He would train them after two years. They'd be making, you know, like 28 to 30 um, I also teach kids how to, you know, when you hear a, a number per hour, how to c calculate that quickly to a yearly wage um, and, and, you know, divide. So when somebody says I make 80000 a year, how much do they make an hour? You can just do it, you know, uh, at the click of a, your fingers. And so any, anybody that gets that training to learn a skill, if you want to operate your own business, and let's say you were a, C, I'll, I'll be generous here. You were a C plus student. Um, and, you know, you get into the trades and you're good at it. You're a, you're a tile setter and you're really good at it because the secret to setting tile is not putting the tiles in. It's knowing how to lay out the job. So when it's done, it looks right. Yeah. Um, and you decide you want to take it to the next level. Well, you could just do what I did. This, this guy from Cleveland that had no direction. Nobody told me what to do. Go to while you're tile setting and working for Joe, the tile setter. Um, take a class at community college on, on basic accounting, basic, you know, estimating, take a contractor's law class because you're going to have to pass that on your test. Um, just educate yourself a little, even if you don't want to go to school, you go on YouTube, go listen to podcasts. I'm sure that you've had different guys here, business owners, yeah. mm -hmm. but look, you know, you're, you're out there, you're working now, you're making a good wage. As a tile setter, you're probably making $70,000 uh, 70, a year, which is $35 an hour. Um, why not take that and make 150 have a couple guys working for you? You know, they're making you money while you're out there. Your job now is to go out and get more jobs. Your job is to manage. Yeah. Um, you're the, saving your knees. The, the, guy, <laughs> the guy that, that pumped the concrete wall for me in La Jolla, I've worked with him for... God, almost 30 years. Um, Enrique, first generation Mexican American. He's put all of his kids through school. They all have college degrees, paid off his house in Mira Mesa, has a diesel truck with a diesel pump. It's the latest because of the air quality stuff. He had to get new stuff, even though his pump and his truck weren't worn out. Um, and he's functionally illiterate. He knows how to do math. He can't read and write. Do you know how much he earns a year pumping concrete? About $300,000. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. It really is. He is like a surgeon the way he works. Now, it's hard-ass busting work, but he, he does it. He's not afraid of it. He knows what he's doing. He is highly experienced. And when you pump concrete, if those in our viewing audience have never seen it done, just imagine a big four-inch hose with, like, you know, cement pouring out of it. Mm -hmm. So when you put it down on the ground, 
the, the trick for a good pumper is knowing how much to put into forms. If you put too much, your cement finisher is constantly pulling back the, the concrete, and that's backbreaking. If he puts too little, then you're constantly trying to shovel mud forward. And Enrique knows exactly how much to put in so that when you're pulling it back, it's not, it's not breaking your back. And he also does cement finishing. So what he did for me was like on that job, he filled up the footing. He came back after the forms were in and he poured the wall and then took the top piece and braces off the forms and kind of smoothed it out. And, you know, he made over, over the two days he was there, he probably worked seven or eight hours. He made 2,500 bucks. Um, and then he told me, he said, you know, Mike, I'm retiring this year. I said, Enrique, you're, how old are you? He goes, I'm 60. I said, you're going to quit working? Because I know, you know, he's, he's Mexican. He loves working. He's, <laughs> he's great at it. He goes, well, I'm not going to stop working. I'm only going to do the jobs I want to do. <laughs> to him, that's retiring. Yeah. So course. there's some jobs that, yeah, that's too much work. I don't want to do that. So he's going to be selective now. Yeah. But here's a guy that has not learned how to read and write that makes what a doctor makes. Because most doctors work for a healthcare practice. And I shared that with my, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my doctor uh, uh, within the last month when I went to see him. And he said, yeah. I said, I'm guessing you make about the same money. He goes, yeah. I said, so, you know, there's pathways for everybody. Absolutely. And, and physically, he's probably in better shape than most doctors, too. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and Enrique is just a really good salt-of-the-earth people. And that's what you find in the construction industry. Yeah. You know, not a bunch of, you know, you know there's, look, there's jerks everywhere. But most of the people are great. And when I talk to young people, I say, think about this. So you learn to be whatever trade it is. I don't care what it is. You're on the job site. So if you're the electrician, you're there when the plumber's doing his thing, the heating guy's doing his thing. Then you see the insulation guy come in and, you know, you start talking to people and maybe you have a beer with them. I said, so then, you know, now you're 29 years old and you bought your first little, you know, condo or something. You want to redo the kitchen. Well, you've already seen the cabinet guy and the tile guy and you know all these guys so hey I'm, I'm doing this so the plumber comes over and for some steaks and beer maybe you throw him some dollars he does you know the, the basic plumbing because you want to move the sink three feet um you do the electrical work and you trade out so when the when the tile setter you know he wants to you know wire up his garage because he's going to put in a compressor and some stuff or whatever you come over and do that and you I said so it helps you build wealth you're, you're going to, it's not only you're going to save the contractor's markup and overhead, um, it's you're going to um, increase the value of your property and not have to spend money for it. So just, you know, and you can see it with some kids when I go to visit classes, a third of the kids are not interested. The middle third of the kids kind of pay attention and, you know, most of it sticks, but that last third. The light goes on. Oh, mm -hmm. does it ever. And you can actually yeah. see, it's almost like a cartoon. I can watch the words leave my mouth, float through the air and go into their ears. I can see the wheels spinning. And usually after the class, some kids will come up and, you know, can I ask you some questions? And, and when, I, when I teach the, you know, for the third time, I'll, I'll mention it now. Those that don't ask, don't get. I tell every class, I will help any one of you. You want to call me, I'll answer your call. You want to email me, I'll answer your email. But I'm not writing my name or my info on the board. If you want it, you got to ask the teacher. Yeah. Those that don't ask, don't get. Yeah. Interesting. Usually that's the first thing that happens in the class. My name is. <laughs> here is. And, and, and let me illustrate that. Do we have enough time? I can tell you one final story. Yeah, please. please. So my first class I went to visit was January of 2022. And a boy raises his hand and says, if I'm an electrician, how do I get a job? And I looked to the boy sitting next to me and I said, well, I said, what's your name? He tells me. I said, he's the electrical contractor. And I point to the kid to, to his right. And I said, what's your name? He's the general contractor. And then I point to the one girl in the class. I said, what's your name? She goes, Nikki. I said, Nikki's the, the uh, developer. I said, if we were making a movie, she's the executive producer. So what she's done is she's envisioned a project. She's tied up the land. She's gone and got bank financing or, or you know, financing to build this project. She's hired a designer and engineers. And then she hires the general contractor who hires the electrical contractor who hires you. Nikki comes up to me after the class. And she's like 5'10", skinny beanpole girl. She goes, how did you know that's what I want to do? I said, I didn't. She goes, I'm... I, I'm I'm afraid I'm not strong enough to do the work, but I'm, I'm just fascinated. I love how everything goes together. 
I said, you want to go to college? Well, I was planning on it. I said, then get a degree in construction management because that's the person that puts all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. So the next day I get an email. I said, McSweeney, this is Nikki. I hope you remember me. And, and the, my first reaction was, oh my God, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but then she said, um, I was really talking to you. I, you know, is there any way that I could ask you some more questions? So Nikki asked, so what did Nikki get? Nikki got a Zoom call with a woman who's a developer. She got a Zoom call with a woman who's a construction manager that works for Lennar. That lady shared with her her first job at 23 was she was the receptionist for a developer. And while in between phone calls, she would get the mail, she would have to open the mail, she would read the contracts. And then she took some classes, and then she was an assistant to the assistant person, and then she worked her way up. She doesn't have a college degree. She's in her mid-50s now. She makes, she wouldn't tell me to the dollar, but approximately 130000 a year. She works for Lennar with the potential of making a 35% bonus if she makes all her marks. Mm-hmm. Then she got a Zoom call that I set up with a girl from San Marcos High School that was the one girl. And I found out listening to the two girls talk, because I just set them up on a Zoom, and then I rolled over to my other desk, the girl from San Marcos shared with Nikki that, oh, yeah, I changed my major after talking to Michael. Oh. My, I had to pick my job off my desk. <laughs> so Nikki now just graduated high school. She's gotten two different scholarships um, to go to Sacramento State to start a career path to be a construction manager. Her mom emails me, I can't tell you how much you've done for my daughter. And I, I wrote back to her very respectfully because I put her mom on every call. So, you know, I would always see half of mom's face. And I said, Cheryl, I said, I would love to take credit for Nikki's success. But the person that deserves your thanks lives under your roof because she learned the lesson. Those that don't ask don't get. Yeah. The flip side of that is in May of 2022, I had to go to visit a class up in... Uh, north of Lake Tahoe. So I land on Sacramento on Sunday, drive five hours up there. The only hotel, this this town is so small, they don't even have McDonald's. There's a resort. So I'm at the resorts, the only restaurant. I have dinner. A, a girl comes to clear off the plates, and she's, you can tell she's high school age. The next day, third period, she comes, sits right in front of me. I said, did you work at the, yeah, that was me. So part of when I talk to classes, I ask kids, you know, I just pick on them while I'm talking. Because it's not all about me, it's about them. So I point to this girl, I said, what, what do you want to do? I want to be a costume designer. I mean, you mean in the movies and theater? She goes, yes. I said, I want you to take out your phone and Google, Google Mark Bridges. And then I went and I kept talking and talked to another kid. I came back 10 minutes later, said, tell us all who's Mark Bridges. He's an English soccer player. I said, wrong, Mark Bridges. The one I wanted you to find is a two-time Oscar-winning costume designer. I said, now, kids, pay attention. This is how small the world is. I said, if you go to his Wikipedia page, you're going to find out he grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. What you're not going to see there is his best friend is a guy named Matthew Adams. Matthew Adams now lives in San Diego and is my best friend. I used to work with him. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at her, and for those of you that can't see, I just clicked my fingers. I put them down on the desk in front of her and started pretending to type. So if you sent me an email that said, Mr. McSweeney, it was wonderful meeting you, and you mentioned that your friend knows Mark Bridges and he's a costume designer. I want to be a costume designer. Is there any way that I could contact him via email or talk to him about a, a career and how he got started? I said, I will not only forward your email to Matt Adams. I will call Matt Adams and ask him to call Mark Bridges. Yeah. I never got an email. And so I'll conclude this story by saying, so this last January, Matt Adams retired from the BIA, and at their annual big installation dinner, they had a little award for him. And guess who was sitting at his table with his family? Mark Bridges. And so I went over to Mark Bridges, and I said, you know, I talk about you to classes across California. He goes, what are you, you know, he's looking at me like I'm yeah. crazy. And I told him the story I just told you, and he said, I would have totally talked to that girl. Yeah. Any, any kid you come across that wants to do what I do, you let, you, know, you let Matt know, you let me know, I'll talk to him. Yeah. Those that don't ask, don't get. It applies to everything in life. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. If you want to do something, find an adult that does that and ask them. So uh, what I find in this job is uh, it's obvious I'm passionate about what we do. Um, There's so many opportunities. Just think about this. When you build a house, there's 150 occupations or more that go into that, not 150 trades. 
But, you know, somebody, you know, measures for the blinds. Somebody puts in the blinds. Somebody did the concrete work. Somebody did the title search. Somebody did the title insurance. There was somebody that arranged the financing. There's somebody that creates the loan for the buyer. I mean, so there's all these tentacles. Some of them require tools. Some don't. Some require college. Some don't. The guy that designed it, the guy that was a civil engineer, they had to go to college. The finance guy probably went to college. The legal person probably went to college. The title insuring uh, salesperson, no. You know, I didn't tell you what they make, but you know, the, the, the ladies that I know that started in their 20s, they're now in their 50s, they make 150 to 200 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Without a college degree. That's something we talk about too, Mike. If, if you start off, you learn your craft. You know, you're 25 now, you're making journeyman wages, you're doing well, you can afford to do the things that you're passionate about yeah. and stuff. And then you want to go back and you've got th- some life experiences behind you. And then you want to go back into college, you're going to learn much faster and apply it to exactly what your goals are. Absolutely. So yeah, the, you, the, you the ro- trades open up even more paths for you. Absolutely. And there's, it's just think of, you know, you, you take, a, take a box of spaghetti at home. Boil it, drain it, just lay it out on the countertop. All those inter, intertwined noodles, those are all pathways in the industry. Mm-hmm. You start at one end and it just, it leads you, it, you know, the, the analogy I use, it's like learning to drive. You get on the freeway and as you're going down the freeway on the left and right, there's all these exits. And every one of those is an opportunity. And so you get off on the exit of framing and you do that for a while. And then you get back on the freeway. You know, now you're, let, let's say, let's say you got hurt. So you're, you're your age and, you know, doctors, you know, you, you need to figure out something else. Yeah. Right. But you've been doing this for 10 years. You know how to manage other people. You don't have to be pounding nails to manage a crew. All right. You can sell the tools. What about uh, Simpson hardware? All the, all the framing connectors, all those pathways are available to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's definitely the, the routes that we, we want to promote out there. And we love that. I mean, you, Michael, you're literally on the ground talking to these kids, teaching classes all over the West Coast, California. And, um, I mean, it's, this is like, this is perfect. Like there's going to be so many like advice through this show that people can listen to and really just be inspired by just from the stories that you mentioned too. Those really were cool. I mean, one, meaning uh, Enrique out there in Mira Mesa, a Nikki out there, and then the one that didn't reach out. You know, those are all examples. Yeah, those are all perfect, uh, um, you know, stories that people need to hear because um, I, I, I know I did. You know, I had to ask so many questions and go through so many hoops to kind of figure out exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And just me personally, but a lot of people need to find that for themselves. And the only way you do it is by asking. Yep. You want, you want to close up Mike about talking about the California home builders foundation? Yeah. So the California home building foundation is my employer. Uh, This is your uh, commercial. So um, think of an umbrella and under the umbrella, there's three silos. Uh, So the uh, California home building foundation has the building industry hall of fame. So when you've achieved greatness, your peers nominate you and and you get voted into the Hall of Fame, just like, you know, an athletic Hall of Fame. Then you have the silo that I work in, BIDA, Building Industry Technology Academy. It's actually named the Donald Chaikin Building Industry Technology Academy. Donald Chaikin was a home builder out of Northern California. Um, And then his uh, his foundation gave us a, a, a very large grant that enabled us to expand. So we named the program after him, um, and that's how I got hired. And then the last uh, silo is the California Industry Research Board. And what they do is they take all the building permit data from every city and jurisdiction in the state and bring all that data together, um, building permits, the values, um, whether it's single family, multifamily. Um, they're doing ADUs now. Uh, you know, repairs, all that kind of data, because different businesses want that data and they buy it. Yeah, they're willing to pay for it. Right. And so those are the three things we do. And we provide uh, a curriculum free of charge to any school in the state. Right now we have 53 schools just signed up Poway this year. Oh, cool. Um, Amazing. You know, I got a couple other ones. I'm going to go meet with some folks from San Diego Unified after this. But, you know, it's just one at a time. And 
and I feel like kind of like a farmer. I'm, I'm out there. I've planted an acre of corn. I've got a half a dozen little sprouts coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm wishing that they would grow faster. But, you know, it's just kids have to hear it. They have to not only do they have to hear it, but they have if they can see it, they can be it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that sounds really corny, but the guy that told his story, um, you know, he was an African-American guy and he grew up in the ghetto and he said, what did I see growing up? I saw people selling drugs and hustling. So I sold drugs. I never used drugs, but I sold them. And he said, I ended up going to prison at 23. And he said, and while I was in prison, I had a lot of time to reflect. And, you know, he realized I have some skills. I, I was running a multi-million dollar business, illegal, but I was successful at it. I understood market share. I understood product. I understood, you know, how to market all these things. Um, and so he learned to cook while he was there. He became a chef and then he got out and worked in restaurants and then became a celebrity chef. And that's how he's now known as chef Jeff. But he's the one that said, if kids can see it, they can be it. And, and, you know, it's, you know, I heard that and I, and I thought, oh, how quaint. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, damn, that is right on. Mm-hmm. And so my job is to expose students to the possibilities. Hey, look over here for a minute. See that big, that big thing over there? That's called the construction industry. You want, you want to know more about it? You can, you can do things. You can build things. If you enjoy working with your hands, you don't want to be tied to a desk and a monitor all day long. You know, you're doing the same work, but it's a different place, a different, you know, you're not nailing the same seven nails into that board eight hours a day, five days a week. And there's high job satisfaction. There's good pay. I point out to the kids, um, this is one factoid, uh, by 2036, 53% of the skilled tradespersons in America will have retired. That's 13 years from now. For every five my age, I turn 65 in January, that retire, there's only one of your generation coming into the trades. So which way are salaries going to go in the future? Up. And I point that out to kids. You know, I said, so what's the most important lesson in economics? Blank face. Somebody (laughs) will say supply and demand. I said, head of the class right there. (laughs) Just point out to them that, you know, you're not going into something that's going to be a dead-end job. So, Jeff, when you and I graduated high school, the tip of the technological spear in the mid-'70s was computer programmer. By the time we turned 40, those guys were dinosaurs because COBOL and um, DOS and all that, they didn't need that anymore. And so now what do you do? You're 40, you're 42 years old, you got 2.5 children, you got your mortgage, your wife, and, and now your job is obsolete. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You got to shift. You got you to ask questions. Well, but in the, in the <laughs> trades, you start out, you learn this. Yeah. And then, you know, you're doing electrical work, but you're watching the plumber do his thing. You're watching this guy do that thing. So you, you learn other, other things. And look, yeah. none of these trades are, are, are rocket science. You just, you learn the fundamentals and you do it. Yep. You know, first rule of plumbing is water runs downhill. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's funny, but it's basic it's yes. not rocket science and i mean and that's why everybody's got to reach out to michael michael it's been an awesome thing to have you on the trades podcast here today i swear we're gonna have you come back because we got oh i got lots of stories we got more stories to come we got more things right. to talk about because yeah, again you, you're on the ground you're with the kids and this is exactly what it's all about spreading it out to the younger generation and let them know exactly what these career paths look like what's the steps and you're out there right in front of the high schoolers that are coming out of edu- uh, out of their high school. We just released an episode um, that was uh, literally talking about, you know, graduated high school, what next, you know, and talking about the opportunities out there. So this is going to fall right behind that episode. So I encourage everybody to please go ahead and listen to our episode, Jeff and I's episode, and then come back and listen to Michael's. You're going to see and hear so many great things about it because it's going to be key. And, um, so go ahead. Uh, you said it. They can call you. They can email. They can smoke signal you anything. That's right. You know, uh, bat, wh- the bat light, you know, whatever. Wh- what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, anybody that's listening, how do you want them to reach out? 619-884-5354. That's my cell number. Perfect. Yep. Michael McSweeney, that's who you're going to call. Don't call him Mr. He said. Um, <laughs> but call Michael and, um, you know, give some more information. He's got it all. And um, And if you're... A parent, um, call his number also. 
You know, well, if definitely if you're a parent, I'll send you uh, something via email. Uh, I created a, a one-page document for parents. I created one for counselors. Yeah. Because counselors, you know, everybody should go to college. Um, and it's got a whole bunch of embedded links. And it oh, says, awesome. you know, is is the construction industry uh, a right choice for my child? Yeah. And and learn about, you know, the high job satisfaction. Um is it dangerous? Sure. But any job is dangerous. You can get hit by a bus if you don't pay attention. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just, I can tell you from my experience, it is very fulfilling to actually build something for someone. Absolutely. The, the internal uh, job satisfaction in the trades is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. We're going to definitely ask you for that for that uh, um, PDF, if you got it, so send it over so we can share that out to everybody too. Yeah, but again, we'll right here, yeah, right here at the BBB Podcast Studio, the Ignite Studio here in San Diego. Michael, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. The Trades Podcast, I want to tell you about Sage IT Systems. I have personally met with Judy, who gave me the behind-the-scenes tour of how Sage IT Systems works and helps out their clients. They've been helping my construction company for a couple years with all the challenges of COVID, taking staff remote, Server backup, everything a business needs from an IT company, Sage IT Systems has been doing for us. The support they're giving to the Trades Podcast is fantastic. I highly recommend Sage IT. If you need a review of your IT systems, please reach out to Judy. Her cell phone, 619-743-5870, or you can go to sage-it.com. That's S-A-G-E-I-T.com. Thank you so much for your support for the Trades Podcast.